Welcome, everyone, to the special episode of Kiwi Talks, where I review Metroid Prime Remastered with the legendary Jack Matthews, who was the lead technical engineer on the original, so he is an OG. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Reese. How are you? Good, good. I always enjoy our chats. Always enjoy Me these too. deep dives, and they end up going in directions mm. that I don't intend, but that's that's the cool thing about it, so... Thanks for taking time out. Right on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, first thing I want to say is kudos to you and the original devs for what you pulled off with the original game. Because for the most part, this game holds up incredibly well after 20, 20 years, which is insane. So it's like, it's oh, it's you. almost it's almost like it's fine wine. It's gotten better with age. But uh, what, what were your thoughts on, on the game? um just in general you mean yeah just in general i mean it was like putting on an old pair of shoes uh it um it looks very much like i remember the game looking in my head you know like when you when you see something that you maybe liked or saw as a child as an adult and you're like oh wow that didn't look very good you know like like, but you had rose-colored glasses about it. Yeah. It now looks the way I remember it looking on my low-resolution TV back in 2001. Um, they did They did a stunning job. Um, I, I I was floored by it. I, I absolutely loved it. Well, I think a lot of people, when they saw the trailer, they're just like, oh, it's, it's just an up-res port. And because of the way you think about it in your head, you're like, oh, yeah, that's how you thought that it looked when you played it back back in the day (laughs) yeah exactly in fact i remembered um i recently saw fendrana drifts the 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 shoreline area on gamecube after i started playing remastered because when i when i went and played remastered and i saw it i'm like oh this looks nice this looks pretty similar to what we had and then i saw how low resolution it actually was on the gamecube <laughs> i saw uh, someone had made something that extracts the models from the old version of the game and puts them on basically lets you view them on your monitor on your new high resolution monitor and i was like oh oh they really added a lot of detail that i didn't expect but that's what's magical about it is like you look at it and it doesn't look different it just is better, um, which I which I really liked about it. Yeah, I mean, well, for the most part, the only things that were updated were the graphics and the control scheme, and that largely made it modern. And like, audio, uh, they yeah, actually audio. something something I noticed was uh, they added reverb and a lot of uh, audio post effects to it that we didn't have on the GameCube. Um, like in the uh, in the tunnel, the tunnels in Chozo Ruins that you could hear like a clanging on the sort of metal tunnels uh, from the reverb. So they, up- they they updated that as well. But yeah, but that's you're right. I mean, controls, audio, visuals uh, is really all that was meaningfully updated. Yeah, but the core design is exactly the same, and it's crazy that it I, holds up after twenty years. It's just I so identical that even like checkpoints and other things that one would have thought would have been like quality of life things that needed to happen didn't i i i some i wished they had at one point but yeah by and large the respect that they paid to the original by keeping the identical design was great i mean even down to the menus when you went and paused the game and you navigated the menus 
they were largely identical. Um, you know, they they didn't. There, there's more modern UIs for menus now, where you like look at a skill and it plays a little video of what the skill looks like. You know, things like that. They didn't do any of that. They they kept it all exactly the same. It's great. Would it have been difficult to do that though? If they wanted to do the whole video thing, like say with um, Metroid Dread, right? They've they've got all the when you get a new ability, they sh- they show you a little video of how to do it, pretty much. I mean, all UI is difficult. <laughs> um, <laughs> UI has sort of become a bit of a bane of uh, video game making now. Um, it's kind of like just paying taxes now, where to get to a certain minimum, you have to do a lot. And so I don't think like individually, like playing a video would have been hard, but revving the entire UI to get to that would have been frustrating and probably wouldn't have changed review scores one iota. Yeah. One thing I did wonder is what code they would have used. Would they have used the original North American one or the EU one, like the the stuff that was changed for the EU or the trilogy one, or would it have been a... Or would it have been a combination of all three? They, from everything I could tell, they started a trilogy, uh, yeah. is what it appears to be. Okay. Because they have all the Wii remote stuff and everything like that integrated in there. And I believe all the gun motion and everything is sort of derived from trilogy. So I think I'm reasonably sure they started from trilogy. The level of detail that, the, obviously, the original had. Uh, certain amount of level of detail in regards to the artwork and it looks like that's largely been preserved in the the remastered version as well and they've added in touch-ups and things your reflection in the mirror was is gone (laughs) it's all right r.i.p that i think you know what's funny about that is and you know for people that don't know basically there's this little i don't want to say it's a gag but it's basically just this little reflection that comes up when you come up to like in like two or three places in the Chozo ruins, you walk up to a little plate. But what's funny is, and what I didn't realize until I played in it, because people were complaining that it was gone, which I'm fine with it being gone because it was a big hack anyway. And it was one of the first things I removed when we went to Metroid prime two was that reflection code. But, um, but what's, what I didn't really realize is how much we actually sort of framed it in the game because when you get to that place, you've, you've made this jump in Chozo Ruins, and then your face is right against that wall when you finish that jump. And so you stare right at where the reflection used to be. And I almost wish they'd have like just removed that metal plate <laughs> or moved it over or something. <laughs> because it, it it is like exactly... I, I'd forgotten how impactful it was. Like you sort of do a jump, then you jump up and then you face this wall and right in front of you is the metal plate with the reflection on it or what used to be the reflection on it. Uh, so yeah, I um, I did think it was funny because I was like, what's everyone so worked up about with this? Then when I was playing, I was like, oh, you, you see it right there where it would have been when you saw it as a kid. So totally get it. But yep, that was, that was removed, but that's, <laughs> that's totally fine. Yeah, I, I think uh, quite a few fans, though, were very, very disappointed that that was removed. I mean, it's a small, small thing. I don't think it matters that much. And if the, the original guy isn't that worried about it, other people shouldn't be worried about it either. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm not worried about it. No, but I mean, like y- you talk about the level of detail, but it is 
it is honestly pretty stunning the amount of detail that they added, both geometric and texture. Um, because something that they they did that so for one thing, you know, Metroid running at 60 FPS is the minimum. That's if you're gonna do a remaster of Metroid Prime, you're gonna run at 60 FPS. Definitely. Um on the Switch, that is a very, very difficult thing to do. And it's even more difficult if you're going to use modern rendering techniques, which is why the game looks so good. They're using something called physically-based rendering, which is uh, a rendering technique that everyone since PS4 has been using. And it's sort of this model of lighting and materials that Disney largely popularized Pixar and um, put out there. And every game dev pretty much does it now. Um, This is a level of fidelity that should not have been possible at 60 FPS on a switch game. And this is why it's the best looking switch game out there Oh, is yeah. because they, it's because they, they hit this. And when you author content for PBR for physically based rendering, it's very different than what we did back in the day. Like back on the GameCube, uh, we, you know, they, they made the geometry, they would make what's called an albedo texture, which was basically just the, the texture that you saw. And then they would add some little reflective textures here and there sometimes that would give you the illusion of like uh, reflected materials. With physically based rendering, you author like the albedo texture, you author a roughness texture that says how rough the surface is. You author normal maps that say how the light reflects off the service you you're basically taking all of the all of the things that you're taking all the speed that you would have gotten from being on modern hardware and applying that straight to doing what would have been two texture passes doing it with like you know nine and a bunch of interesting math so the amount of work in actually authoring all of that content and reauthoring was pretty stunning in order to end up making it look as good as it did. Well, it's just, it's ironic to me that Metroid Prime was considered probably the best looking game on GameCube, and now it's the same thing again on Switch. Yeah, they, yeah. they really nailed it. They, they, they did it. I'm, I, hats off to them for it because... It, w- it was something that I-, I thought if it was going to hit 60 on Switch, there's no way they were going to do physically based rendering. Um, I thought it was going to look like the Dolphin emulator on GameCube, you know, like like flat lighting, you know, kind of last Jenny. But no, they they nailed it. Absolutely. So I suppose, I mean, I think we've talked about this maybe off air before, but in terms of the Rude engine, they would have taken stuff from maybe Unreal and implemented it into the engine, I suppose. Like uh, I don't think they, they, no, they wouldn't have taken anything for unreal. Um, PBR is pretty standard among, I mean, almost every Sony game likely uses it. Unreal has been using it. Modern unity uses it. It's a pretty, essentially Disney sort of opened up the kimono with uh, various papers and stuff to describe how to implement physically based rendering. And so, you you don't need to take from another game engine or anything in order to uh to do that. Yeah, I, I often wonder like what Todd Keller and Chris Volman and all those guys would have thought 
of the the art right being updated because yeah it was it was it caught me by surprise because when i watched the trailer i was like oh yeah this is this looks good but then when you actually play it on the big screen it's 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 astounding and then you go back and play mm-hmm. another game on switch and you're like ah oh. <laughs> right yeah. no it it it, it, it it's beautiful that's kind of what i meant when i said like it looks like i remembered it looking is because it looked so good back then compared to everything else and now it looks so good compared yeah. to everything else too and mm. they really didn't take at too many liberties uh with the art um i will say the one thing that got me that actually caught me by surprise and initially made me um apprehensive was the look of how i imagine when you post that at this you'll cut to this footage but on the galactic federation ship at the very beginning how it looks like string lights like there's like little bulbs so in the in the ship um in the intro level um oh the orphean it's got yeah. Yeah, the Orphean, yeah. It's got a... Uh, there's all these, like, lines that are, like, you know, little lights that are, like, line-like lights. And in the in this edition, they've put, like, little bulbs along those lines, which was really odd. It sort of looks like string lights or, like, Christmas lights along the lines. And the only reason it really uh, was off-putting is because I, I distinctly remember Todd, when he was building all of that, specifically actually wanted and we didn't give it to him we just made him build it out of triangles but he wanted like a line renderer so that those could all just be lines moving around rather than uh physical geometry or anything like that so to see them add sort of christmas bulbs onto it i was like it it's kind of like when like you know someone uh someone takes like a dinosaur you know they see the dinosaur bones and they put the skin on in a funny way that is like yeah, you know, because yeah. they didn't understand the musculature of the dinosaur, you know, and so like I feel like almost that happened where someone saw that on the low res GameCube and thought like, oh, maybe they intended for this to be like string lights, uh, but it just never showed up or something like that. So that was one artistic license that I was a little uh, apprehensive about, but there really wasn't very much of anything else like that in the game, except for the doors, which. You know, as we know, Zoid uh, was very angry about. Um, but um, but other than that, wasn't that much artistic license taken. I think that they did a lot of work on some um, some like exposure settings and some saturation and some other camera settings that we didn't have back then. Uh, but the lighting feels reasonably intact to me. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it looks to yeah. me like they, they tried to keep as much intact as possible and really just improve the art and animation and, and lighting. I mean, the animation rigs look almost identical, I thought, as well. I, I thought so, too, except when I, w- when I was in the... There was something I did, I think I noticed, and, you know, this could just be me misremembering, but when... Um, when she in in the final boss battle, uh, when you know how she keeps jumping down to the next level of the Metroid Prime Spider Boss, oh uh, yes, in, you know every time you knock him back to the wall, then she runs up and does a jump. 
She yep. does this really cool thing where she she runs and then before her jump, she kind of stops short and then jumps forward and like shifts her weight on her foot. And I do not remember that in the animation in the original game. And it looks so good. It's just like a nice subtle thing, you know, and I'm like, wow, did they really like go back and like adjust her weight so that, you know, because she's running forward to jump, but then she actually does like a little hop to like slow herself down probably to give herself the momentum to take off and jump. And I thought that was a really cool detail that I think was added in this. Yeah, well, the, as I said, the, the attention to detail, right? So I, I reckon they would have gone back like line by line, room by room, and just paid so much attention to detail and fine-tuned everything. Yeah. Yeah, it's obvious to me that that's... The, the the level of respect that they had for the original game uh i mean i it, it was it was flo- i was floored by it just playing the game i was just like this is exactly how i remember it nothing has been changed but yet it feels so modern and i suppose it's a testament to you guys in terms of 3d metroidvanias that no one else has really been able to replicate what you guys did yeah i mean I don't know how much they've tried. Well, uh, yeah, well, yeah, I don't even think they've bothered to try because it, it would be too difficult. <laughs> I mean, but if you think of like the 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 3D iterations of Nintendo's fr- main franchises, right? Or the, the big ones, mm-hmm. right? So if you think of Super Mario 64 and Ocarina of Time and Metroid Prime, like obviously so many games have taken from Super Mario 64 and Ocarina of Time and they've built upon it since. But it's just, and, and that's, also probably part of the reason why metroid prime feels timeless is no one's been able to kind of move the dial or move it forward so to speak you guys just nailed it first time thank you yeah no i'd say the one thing that probably got copied from us or pulled from us is actually the visor of all things yeah like having the sort of first person hud with the lag and the feeling of the 3d but i i don't know if that was necessarily cribbed from us or was just going to be discovered by anybody going after the same kind of problem but um (laughs) yeah 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 the the whole exploration and shooter but not military thing i don't know if it wasn't copied because we nailed it so well or if it wasn't copied because i don't know that people could find a way to make money on that kind of game but possibly I mean, if you play yeah. Doom, Doom 2016, like it feels to me like there's definitely elements from that. But I mean, most, I mean, the Morph Ball in and of itself, right? I mean, I can't think of another game that really utilizes a Morph Ball with exploration <laughs> the way Metroid Prime does. I can't think of any I'm of just, stop I, I'm, I'm just imagining like the game pitch of that. Like if you're going in cold with a new IP <laughs> and you're like, okay. Okay, I got it. It's a first-person shooter, but you become a ball. <laughs> yeah, and then they'd be like, they'd be like, you become a ball. Yeah, I said that. You become a ball, and then what do you do is the ball. You roll around. You're a ball. Oh, and you can lay bombs. Where do the bombs come from? From your insides. Wait, wait. You're a ball. Why aren't you dead? Because I'm a ball. I'm a magic ball. I spin around, and a ball forms around me. Don't you get it? Give me money. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's something that that would be uh, that would be really tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Which is why I love some of the lore in the game as well. There's there's one piece of lore with this, where it's got the space pirates talking about experiments. Yeah, with the wolf ball. Uh, I think because Carl Dicker did the lore, didn't he? So he he probably wrote that. I, maybe. I, yeah, I think he did the Chozo lore. I don't remember who did the space pirate stuff. It might have been him. But yeah, that I I I read that. Like that one is actually. I, I normally don't go for the lore when I do playthroughs now, but uh that was on like i believe that was in the mines and so it was on one of the computers where it might have been a like fire the laser thing so i scanned that and saw it again and i was like oh i miss this one so much yeah yeah it's, that one is that one is so funny about it's, like it's yeah basically we tried we tried to emulate the morph ball uh bad results happened or something yeah it was so <laughs> funny well it's because from a from a realistic standpoint it makes no sense that Samus can do that, right? Nope. <laughs> but hey, game logic. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And people don't care. I just like, and it's like, we, we don't even like really try to explain it so much. Like, like when she gets the morph ball upgrade, like she just like curls up and starts spinning and the ball like closes in around her. And like, it's just such a funny, the whole thing is just so funny. It makes no sense. And that's just fine. Do like, you remember, do you remember the original idea for that like what the animation was going to be for the morph ball when that happens because obviously there must have been discussions like okay so how are we going to show her getting the morph ball for the first time how is she going to actually morph? I, I just remember everyone was completely puzzled by it i think chris volman probably did that cinematic and yeah i i don't remember the, i i just remember everyone really being like up in arms about how do we do this like you know like how do we show it this transition? I remember that those cinemas were particularly annoying because we we wanted to show her turning into it, but we I think we didn't like oh we didn't really have them both load we didn't have like a cinematic morph ball model or anything. We just had the cinematic Samus model. And then we had the two pieces closing in. And we didn't really have like a way to go between them. And it was so close up. I think that's why we just decided on the whole like have her spin and do that was because we didn't like we didn't have a transition it was just a you know we just in the real game we just like faded between them i think i think it was just like literally fading the model as it as you turned into the ball when you know when you're in the third person camera going into the ball yeah yeah oh we oh we fade and we like have that blue inner effect or whatever gets really bright so it kind of covers the transition but then for the cinema i think it was deemed that it would be like way too cheap to do that so i think that's why they just did the whole close-in thing i mean and the just... more the more i think about the morph ball uh, the more i think wow it's so complex and it's so well done that people don't really talk about it like everything right from the camera to the animations to yeah it's it's yeah very ev well done. everything about it no everything about it and that's i mean it's a it's a testament to the game of, that they didn't change any of it like like if they change, if they tried to redo the morph ball or redo the morph ball camera, I, it it just would have been a waste of time. Like it would have been fundamentally extremely difficult because so much work was put in, not just to the camera, but to the motion of the morph ball. Like the fact that you know it rolls around like a marble until you get to a certain speed, and then we actually ride it so that it turns into a tire. And that's why the stripe is always parallel to the ground and, you know, drawing the stripe. There's that. There's the half pipe stuff, which Andy O'Neill actually did, 
which like the physics for half pipes, which if you really think about that, it's very intuitive in terms of a ball boosting back and forth on a half pipe. But like actually doing that and making it feel good is really tough because at the end of the day, our collision is a bunch of polygons. That's not a smooth actual surface. And so knowing you're on a half pipe and treating it smoothly as such is, is pretty difficult. That's a very valid point that I never thought of because yeah, I've, it wouldn't be a smooth surface, but you'd have to align it. So it is a smooth, smooth surface, even though it doesn't look like a smooth surface. And the ball has to feel like it's on a smooth surface the whole time. Like yeah. you, you, you know, you can't, ju- you couldn't have it go juddering too much. And like, you know, when you're like boosting back and forth and you're having that like sort of parabolic feeling of it, like there was stunning amounts of work put into that. Um, mm. uh, actually. Yeah. I mean, there's stunning amounts of work put into everything in the game. It's, um, it's why, uh, it's why they felt it necessary to remove the credits of everybody that did all the work that made it into the game. <laughs> uh. Well, I, they would have used the original code though, right? So the original code, cause, and this is a it, good segue. This is the, they, yeah, they are using the original code. That's what I'm saying is like, if it wasn't using the original code, you would know it. You know, the fact that it plays exactly identical you know, it is using the original code uh, for everything that is underneath, uh, you know, graphics, audio, that kind of thing. So, mm. yeah, not not crediting the people who did that is petty and ridiculous. Which is why it makes no sense, because I would maybe understand a bit more if it was an actual remake from the ground up where none of the original um, content was used, but what 95 percent of it would probably be you guys well i mean i don't know about 95 percent or whatever but like i i mean i would say that like you know (laughs) ironically my code was probably the code that was the most removed from the project because i did a lot of the low level engine and gamecube specific stuff but um you know let's take you know all the design scripting ai code UI code even like almost all that code is wholesale exactly as it was. Um, Then you have all the artwork, which is ultimately artwork that is based on original artwork by the original artists on the game. Like it, this isn't a thing where they built art just on concepts alone or just on designs alone. They, they built it based on their own thoughts. I mean, you know, like you look at um, in Talon Overworld, uh, right near the beginning of the game, that large vertical tunnel where you have the x-ray visor things at the top, you know, that like cool wooded bridge, you know what I'm talking about? The, 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 it's a bridge that looks like a giant tree, tree branches that are kind of intermingling going across. Oh, yes. That, yep. Yeah. And then that there, I, I'm, reasonably sure that's the exact same one as infant drawn adrifts that's frozen over but you know that's a piece of art that even if it was remade was made from the, the artist's mind that built that bridge not not the concept artist not necessarily the designer but the person who actually made that the first time in the remastered version is largely getting it traced over you know and so 
where, why, why is that original artist not credited? You know, it, 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 it sort of goes pretty deep. And, and so, I mean, even if the credits were like when you beat the game in the extras, it unlocked original staff credits. I get that. But, you know, the way Nintendo appears to be doing credits right now, because I, I looked and it's intentionally called staff credits, which means that they're basically just trying to put the names of the people that were in the seats at the time that the game was made. But just because you call it staff credits doesn't mean that it's credits. And there are very many people at Nintendo of America and Nintendo of Japan that had nothing to do with the game that are listed in the staff credits. Um, not to mention the fact that, uh, what was it? Uh, Skyward Sword begins their credits with the original development staff credits. Yeah. So like, likely because the majority of those employees are still employed at Nintendo. Uh, and so that would be why that would happen. Or their producer just actually stood up for their team. Uh, one or the other. Yeah. And I suppose the other mm-hmm. thing is you've got people on the original team that are no longer with us, right? So Mark Haig Hutchinson and Andy O'Neill, they can't even defend mm-hmm. themselves. And they were major important parts of the original original game, right? I mean... Yeah. I mean, you you, you introduced me as technical lead and... and uh, um... But really, Andy and I were co-technical leads, co-technical uh, leads. Yeah. On, the, on the on the Metroid Prime game. He was he was vitally vitally important to the game. As was HH. As were a huge host of other people whose work is directly represented, not you know, directly represented in the game, and a host of people whose work is indirectly represented in the game. Now, I will say that like Clark Wynn actually was the original sound designer on metroid prime um and he was brought back in to work on remastered which yeah was he was credited he was contract he was a contractor i think yeah he was a contractor but yeah. he was brought back in to work on it and so it's it's clear to me that a lot of people on the staff really actually do care about the legacy and care about the people on it and so it's sort of unfortunate that um that at the top decisions got made uh in that way but yeah how how long would that take to patch? I mean, that would be what a five minute job or something, wouldn't it? Would would you just transfer stuff from a spreadsheet or Excel spreadsheet or something and then put it in? <laughs> I mean, it's more it's more than a five minute job, but I mean, it's 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 my it's it's inconsequential. And again, like I said, like even if they did it where they just made a separate screen in the extras menu that was an unlock after you beat the game, much like the other unlocks they have when you mm. beat the game, that was just original staff credits. Play the same movie, the same looping movie that plays behind the credits for the full game, and then just put the full staff credits from the original. Boom. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah. One yeah. thing I wanted to ask you about was the thermal visor, because obviously <laughs> that that was your baby. I think that's one of the areas <laughs> that's one of the areas where I was like, wait, this is not as good as the original. It's like they put a motion blur on it or something. Yeah. Um, and I I I've watched a few people play it online and in forums and stuff and particularly for noobs and some of them are getting quite like sick from 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 yeah. the blur yeah so i i'll start with the so the what is yeah that what it, what looks like has happened with a thermal visor is that it's running at a really low resolution and they added motion blur on top of that 
it's probably running at a low resolution because they probably had performance issues running the thermal visor filters on the switch. Um, the, the way we did all the visors on the GameCube and Wii versions of the game were basically, I, I, I sort of wrote them, uh, Ted Chauvier did the x-ray visor. I didn't write that one directly. Um, I helped with methods for it, but I wrote them to, to really take advantage of the GameCube hardware and to work one-to-one with the combat visor. So I've talked about this on Twitter some, but the idea with every visor was as it was, you know, like the way it started was design, the design department would come up and they would, they would say, okay, here's the visors we want to do. We'd like to do X-ray because Super Metroid, obviously combat scan. And then we have this idea for a thermal scope, you know, for a thermal visor. And from there, it was like, okay, comes to me and I'm like, well, what's thermal look like? And I'm like looking it up and everything like that. And then I just go go down and figure out how how can we do this given the hardware? How can we do this so it's never more expensive than the combat visor? Because that we we have to run at 60 and we have to always care about worst case. So how so the the top line thing was how can we do that and what hardware tricks can we exploit to get there? And so one thing about thermal that was obvious right from the outset was there's uh, something called uh, a palette on on the GameCube hardware where you could basically have a texture and then you could say for for each thing in the texture, 0 to 255, the brightness of the texture, you can map that to a literal palette like a painter's palette of colors. And so what we did is we mapped brightness to a scale a a palette from like blue to red to white or whatever and essentially i just said to carl deckard like go into photoshop make me a palette export it and that will be the palette for thermal visor so what we essentially have is if you were to look at like on the hardware what we render underneath is i just turn off all the lights and i just render the base textures and then for things that are marked as hot and thermal, I just jack up their brightness. And then I just put the palette over the screen and bang, you get thermal. You know, what's nice about that is it means it's really no more expensive than the combat visor, but it's also something that you can do on the GameCube that the hardware supports. You know, modern hardware hasn't supported palettes in a really long time. And I imagine they wanted to do some extra post-processing effects. I'm also thinking that for the Switch version, like like on modern hardware, changing up different things for different materials in the world is not as easy as it used to be. It used to be that I could do like a bunch of low-level code, swap a few things, and like turn off all the lighting or turn off a texture pass or whatever. But with all that PBR stuff I discussed earlier, um, you know, GPUs are more complicated and setting and like tagging different geometry to render and look different ways at different times is actually pretty difficult. So I think what ended up happening is they just wanted to have something similar to the effect, but realized they couldn't hit 60 unless they went really far down in resolution. But once you go far down in resolution, there's only one thing you can really do, which is blur the heck out of it. Two ways to blur it are motion blur or just screen blur. And I am betting you motion blur just looked better than screen blur. 
So that's probably why they chose that. Given all of that, uh, yeah, I I feel like it it is probably the weaker of all of the new features in the game. Because um, for me, something that was important was that vi- the visor needed to actually be usable in combat. Because right when you get the thermal visor, you have that whole run in Fendrana going from there down to um, out to where you get the super missiles or whatever. Um, that's uh, that run feels so much different now, and it, and it, and that was really unfortunate because originally that run was pretty terrifying. Because what would happen is you would go down there, you go into thermal, and suddenly space pirates are hanging from the ceiling. And then, like, the Metroid tanks are at the bottom, and you could see the Metroids were in there, and then, like, you know, shoot a missile, and then out they come, and they're attacking pirates for you. It was this very, like, stealthy, but also kind of scary encounter. Like, you go into Thermal, and you'd see pirates hanging all over the place, and now they're all really blurry, and it's kind of even hard to see that Metroids are down there. You know, it's all very, uh, which, I mean, it's ironic, because... You know, the original game was 64480. This is probably rendering at the same resolution as the <laughs> original game. But yet it it feels, because of all the motion blur and blurriness and everything, it feels all muddled. And so I feel like, yeah, that wasn't great. I felt like in the crash ship, when you're just doing the stuff of like using the wave beam to turn on the different terminals, I thought that was fine because you weren't moving quickly. And so that didn't bug me as much. It wasn't as... Um, it, it didn't bug me as much, but yeah, when, when it was like the thermal run right after getting the thermal visor and combat just didn't really work. Uh, yeah, that, that, that one stung a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I mean, you talk about the differences between the GameCube hard, hardware and, and modern hardware. And I, mm-hmm. I suppose that would be part of the reason as to why the lighting is different, right? I mean, people have been mm-hmm. complaining about the lighting, how you shoot you know, your charge beam or whatever beam down a hallway and it would light up the room in the original one. That's not the case in the new one. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, on the GameCube dynamic, the way we used dynamic lighting. So I, I elected never to use what's called specular lighting on the GameCube. Um, Specular lighting and butt mapping were the two big performance traps and that's why we never used them. So specular what specular lighting is, is that's that's the kind of lighting that changes as your view changes. So it's for shiny things. Mm. So like, think if you had like, um, like, a, like a golf ball, right? And you were shining a flashlight over it, right? There's part of the golf ball that stays the same lighting no matter which direction you look at it, right? Like imagine if the golf ball, imagine if the ball were made of... Um, we're just like made of dirt, right? It wouldn't really matter what direction you're looking at it. But if the ball is made of like a pearl or something like that, and it's pearlescent, then depending on where your eyes are, it sees different lighting because that's how the light bounces off the ball to hit your eye. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. So specular is that. And it's basically a an old, old way of doing that. Um, and... I elected not to do that with lights because that was very expensive on the GameCube. Um, and uh, and bump mapping was a similar thing, which is now replaced by normal mapping, um, was something we elected not to do on the GameCube. And I just emulated the specular with like <laughs> with just this like dumb spherical texture that would move around that almost looked like lighting. Uh, but anyway, 
So for the shots passing down the halls, we were just using the GameCube hardware's what's called vertex lighting. And when you didn't use specular, vertex lighting was, in our case, was close to free. And so doing the shots with the dynamic lighting like that was just kind of fine. Like it didn't impact in a meaningful way any performance problems. So that's one of the reasons we could do it is because we could do it. Like any any piece of geo, if it had more than like four dynamic lights hitting it, then it couldn't do more than four. So I would just find basically the four brightest or most impactful and have them, you know, impact any piece of geometry. But with modern hardware, you basically have to render lights off to like a separate buffer and you render them as big bubbles of light. Now, the thing about Switch is it's largely mobile hardware. It's 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 very, I mean, it's based on the NVIDIA Tegra. It's And something about mobile hardware is like, it's very powerful in terms of you can run very complicated shaders, but you can't run very many of them per pixel on the screen. Uh. And so what you, yeah. And so what you end up doing for the switch is you end up basically rendering the whole world once just to the depth. So basically you render all the opaque stuff to like a buffer that just writes the depth. Then you render everything again. And the switch is really good about like rejecting pixels that aren't going to render when it's opaque so when 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 there's no transparency the switch is very good at rendering every pixel only once nothing behind other pixels um so when you render those pixels only once you have a really complicated physically based rendering program you can get away with 60 but then when you start rendering light bubbles lights have a very large fall off if you want to be able like or I mean, very fast fall off. So if you want to see a light it, it bubble, it has to be extremely bright and extremely large because lights have a nonlinear fall off. So you're basically talking about essentially doing full screen passes for pretty much any light that is being active in the game. So if you have a situation where you could be suddenly creating four lights at any point in the game, you've got to either account for that up front and keep the art budgets back or don't create lights all over the place. And I think they just you know opted for the latter of basically saying, um, don't do that. Um, and that it's probably a hard thing because of what I said, like, because it's always just rendering every pixel once, but it's doing those PBR pixels. It probably doesn't actually even matter if the artist reduced poly count or anything like that, because it's literally just the number of things that are rendering on the screen. Like you could probably have a gigantic box with a PBR texture on it and not be able to render too many lights on top of it very much. Um, I imagine what they had is they probably had a budget that was for the base geometry, a budget for environmental effects. And I'm betting you after that budget, they probably had nothing left for dynamicism with lights or anything like that without dropping 60. So again, this is another situation where we designed a feature around the original GameCube hardware and what it could do. And now that they're on switch, they've got to say yes to some things and no to some others. And that was, uh, that was something that they had to ditch. I imagine it was a painful decision. But it's probably, and I hadn't thought about it before, but it's probably a decision they were sort of forced into because it was either 
allow for dynamic lights and have almost no environmental effects or anything, or allow for the environment to look really, really good and sacrifice some dynamic lights. I think they made the right call. I, I do too. I do too. I think there's a there's a couple places where it would have been nice to see the dynamic lights, but then that would have just made, if they'd have turned it on in some places and off in others, it would have just highlighted the fact that they were on in some and off in others. So I actually think they made the right call as well. Yeah. Because it must have been such a rigorous task. I mean, to to keep the, the game at 60 frames per second on Switch. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, it's it's an ungodly difficult task. I I can't believe they did it. Like it's it's it it it's it's unfortunate. A lot of people complaining about the stuff on the dynamic lights and everything. I mean, obviously, your your average person isn't going to understand a lot of this stuff, but no, like <laughs> yeah, but it, it there's a reason why it's the best looking game on Switch. It's because it's a Herculean task, um, and I feel like retro went back to a mantra we had when we were working on the GameCube versions of the games, which is we do what Nintendo don't, you know, like we, <laughs> we, or, or what they can't, you know, um, yeah. you know? And so I feel like, uh, I feel like they, they really nailed that. And then, you know, because the, the enhancements they did make, I, I think also can't be understated. Like, like something I noticed that I don't know that a lot of people have, called out but there are a huge amount of like volumetric fog effects in the game now so in like fendrana drifts if you look around you'll see some beautiful like differing amounts of fog all in the environment and like in magmore caverns i remember i had this like sort of ghetto lava fog that didn't really work very well but they've got it all over all the lava and magmore caverns and yeah. they've got like the heat displacement and they've got all this amazing environmental stuff um, that adds to the feel that are things that we would have had to fake with room fog or with particle systems that they, they clearly put that. So like when they budgeted their environment stuff, like I said, I'm sure that they basically had just the budget for the flat stuff. They, they had an environmental budget, which I'm sure included like things like fog and stuff like that. And I feel like, fog is kind of there we're gonna assume it's everywhere and let people turn it on or off you know wherever they can um in the game but it it really creates a pretty stunning um thing they also fixed water which was great uh water looks gorgeous you know like the reflections and the and the lights on the water look exactly as you'd want them to look like they they added a, a huge amount to the game it almost feels like it was a middle finger to the haters again. You know how you guys had that mentality on the original, yeah. but then because they haven't released the game since Tropical Freeze and people were starting mm -hmm. to doubt them and lose hope and Retro's not what it used to be, you know, it was kind of like a mic drop, like, boom, no, no, we still got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think that they, they're, this was probably the best way they could actually get people excited about Metroid Prime 4 as well. Yeah. Was to just say, like, like anyone that's now that's worried about Metroid Prime 4 in terms of 
look and feel and everything. They don't need to be because they can be confident that the people that are at retro now know what made, you know, the series what it was. And even, you know, the, even though I'm sure like a quarter, less than a quarter of the original team is there. In fact, I think I work with probably more of them at blue point at this point than, uh, <laughs> than, uh, than, than people at retro. Um, they really understand it and get it. And what I'm really looking forward to in prime four actually is them building it for the hardware. Yeah, uh, rather that's than right. Having to, having to worry about keeping up to GameCube. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. Well, it, it, it almost seems like a good test in a way mm-hmm. for Prime 4. Because I know when uh, the Zelda team were working on Breath of the Wild, they used Wind Waker, like porting it and upscaling it as a way to test the development team to move to HD. And I, it's not exactly the same, but... I think in terms of testing the waters and what works and what doesn't work and maybe what problems they found doing the remaster and how to avoid that going forward. So, yeah, I mean, I have all the confidence in the world. I mean, I did before anyway, but it's it's good to see a lot of the, I don't know, people hating or putting retro down and being like, uh, it's not going to be good, it's never going to come out and all that. It's it's good to see that that's largely disappeared now. Yeah, and I'm I'm happy to see that my friends there are able to, yeah, not work under those those feelings and have just been able to prove themselves and and do a great job. I mean, it's it's stunning. But yeah, and I think like you're right about the test thing because I think right now what they've largely probably done is built that you know that that cadre of contractors and other studios to help them out like i think iron galaxy here in chicago i saw them in the credits um and um and and various other studios and i'm sure that they've essentially now built up uh a group that can help them build the art because you know i mean you saw the credits of the new one it goes on for ages (laughs) Yeah, but I mean that's 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 what I was also saying about building PBR style art as well. Is it's just a lot more intense, you know. It takes a lot more uh, effort to get a polygon on the screen that looks really good now than it used to. Um, and so I think that retro building building up that that force of people to build something that looks like it could be on a PlayStation Four, PlayStation Five on the Switch is is really great that they did this for prime one yeah crazy crazy good uh mm-hmm. the unfortunate thing for me is because this is not the first time i've played the original prime right so i can't mm-hmm. play the game as a noob mm-hmm. a new a newbie or a noob so to speak um so it's been interesting watching people online playing it for the first time and there's a couple of spots where people have found issues which I actually laugh about because I think that I had the same problem in the original, but there's there's one particular section and I think you you had the same problem, right? Is you get the ice beam and then you mm-hmm. feel like the game funnels you to the, the crash frigate and then you go all the way down the crash frigate, you get to the bottom and then you'll get the data received and then it tells you to go back to get the, the gravity suit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was... that. I hit that. What What's the name? Don't they have a name for that? Like some... Uh, 
Forget oh, gravity suit, gravity suit trap. That's what it's called. Yeah, Jeez. yeah. So because I, I mean, I used to, I used to be able to go from item to item by memory, but it's been so long since I've played it that yeah, I, I got funneled to that exact place where you go down into the crashed frigate without the gravity suit. You get to this elevator, and then the message comes up: you need a no, another item to proceed. Which yes, may as well just be. A middle finger telling you <laughs> that. And then as you're trying to jump back up, you are uh, you are lovingly greeted by enemies that suck you in and make you go all the way to the bottom unless you hit them with a charge shot. Uh, and then I had to... Oh, my God. So I got to the bottom, and then there was a save station. You know, Because that, that crash ship is the inverse of the... Uh, of the ship from the intro, uh, or I mean, it is the ship from the intro, yeah, but you yeah. walk through it backwards. So I, I go to that save station that's right outside the Parasite Queen encounter, and I save, and then I get the, you know, the, the the middle finger of the elevator, and then I go back up, and I go all the way out, and I get all the way to, I believe it was the mines, and then I get to a room in mines where there's like four turrets. And and a scan and a scan thing that I'd forgotten where you could just like it was either you could morph ball under them or Oh you, you could know, scan them. Or, sc- yeah, yeah, yeah. or you could scan them in the other whatever it was. I was like, ah, I'm just gonna screw around. And what I did what I'd forgotten was like, especially in mines, unless you're like shooting boxes like a fiend, you're not really getting much health back. You know, and so my health and so as I'm like playing around trying to shoot these turrets, I look up at my health and I see that I've only got like two or three energy tanks, and I'm like Oh shit, where did I say? And then I died. <laughs> and then I restored back in that same room at the bottom of <laughs> the GD ship. And I was like, oh my God. And like, I'm playing this thing between like naps of my kid too, you know? Like, I'm yeah, playing like yeah. an hour and a half at a time. And I'm like, I've just burned an hour of precious, precious nap time. No. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then. I had another similar one in mines with uh, because there's like a spider ball uh, track to go to the save station at the beginning of mines. And then I missed oh, that yes. as well. And then I went all the way down to the um, to the where, the, where you get the power bomb. Mm. And then I died. I died at the pirate battle right after that. And again, I, I I'm like, I'm like. I'm like, all right, time to redo that. And then, talent overworld. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> like, I'm not in the mines. I have to go through the whole first level again. Oh. But it's, yeah. Uh, I mean, I watched a few playthroughs of uh, people playing it for the first time. And every single one of them died at the mines. Mm-hmm. They were totally caught off guard because I, I thought, oh, maybe one will get through first time. But it's such a rampant difficulty that it catches most people off guard. And they're like, whoa, what the heck? I I love the rampant difficulty at Mines, actually. There's there's something about the game that that I, I, I like to talk about, which is I feel like even even compared to the other two games, the pacing and patience of the actual game design in Prime 1, I feel like is so good because you don't even see a pirate outside of the intro and outside of maybe, you know, flying pirates outside of the ship if you wander over there. But on the on the golden path, you pretty much don't see another pirate until Fendrana drifts, you know, and that's a long way into the game. And I think it's really cool because then you like learn to really fear them. 
And then when you get to the mines and it just sort of smacks you in the face with, with complicated things like switching weapons to defeat guys. And, you know, every time you feel like you kind of get into a rhythm with the game, I feel like it, it smacks you around a little bit and tells you, no, you're not going to get comfortable. You need to really be on your toes. And I feel like, I feel like mines is nice for that because I feel like it, it sort of reminds you that there's combat in the game and that you you can't just sort of sleepwalk your way through the game. You've got to adapt and change your strategies. You've got to like go to the thermal visor to see invisible pirates. You've got to switch beams to match the color of the guys you're shooting at. Like so yeah, I I actually love the fact that that the mind's difficulty just goes right through the roof. I feel like it it sort of forces you to to be a better player. What what do you think? Do you think it's too much for new players? I don't know if it's just that new players are just not as good, but then like when I was a kid, <laughs> I was really good at video yeah. games and somehow I feel as I've gotten older, I'm not as good. So I, d- I don't know. It's, it's, um, and maybe it's just because there's a lot of auto saves and checkpoints in games nowadays. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's taught players to be, to, to drop their guard, so to speak, to to be yes. complacent, to be complacent in terms of playing a game. So, I think if, when you're playing through the mines, I suppose if I was to put myself in the headspace of someone who's playing through the mines for the first time, and that they wouldn't be too worried about saving and respawning. That oh, I'll just respawn. There'll be some checkpoint. You know, you would just assume that but it's not the case. And so, yeah. I mean, I should, I, I'd love to make a compilation of like all the people that play for the first time and then realize where they respawn after they die. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, that would be, oh man. That would like, um, I wouldn't have been mad if retro added a per world transition checkpoint. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like that would have, that is one quality of life thing that, I respect that they didn't, but gosh, there were a great many times I wish they had. How difficult would that be to implement, though? That one would be inconsequential. If you did it just at the last time you came into a world, like through an elevator, and you just respawned from that, that would be absolutely trivial. Like checkpoints at bosses and specific rooms, that requires actual like game-specific scripting, but... For world tr- world transitions, we basically dump everything, other than the sixty bytes of save data or whatever, and then sort of recreate the world from scratch there. So if they were to checkpoint just like which world room you came in and that tiny amount of save data, that would have been a nothing task for someone to do. Mm. But I respect, but I respect that. I, I I can see the side of it that says that da- down that road lies madness because then you could start saying that about a lot of things so yeah i can understand why they wouldn't do it but there are a few times i wish they had <laughs> like the times i died in the mines yeah one thing i wanted to get your viewpoint on is because this has been a hot debate online it's the whole what is an hd you know res up port what is a remaster? What is a remake? And what the difference is? I know you posted something on Twitter, but you can probably probably elaborate more than 160 characters on here. So yeah, I just wanted to get your view on that because a lot of people don't 
know what is what. They think they know, uh, but they don't know. Well, I mean, there's also like it's it's all. I mean, I'm gonna preface this by saying it's all just terminology. Like we're just making things up, uh, you know. <laughs> but well, I mean, it's like it, anyone can call anything they want a remaster or whatever. But you know, my uh, my my thought was like if we're starting at the top, like I would say a remake is something where fundamentally almost all of the code and assets have been redone whole cloth mm. um this would be resident evil remake. 4 remake that's that's a remake right it even has remake in the and it's built from the ground up oh the new one that just got not the vr yeah, one but the new one yeah, that yeah. just got released yes yes exactly that would be a remake i i would still say let's credit the original devs in 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 an area of credits for the original game but it is still a remake is what i would consider that um and then beneath that, I would say a remaster is one where the game systems and code are fundamentally similar or running underneath the game, and but that the majority of the assets and like rendering technology has been rebuilt. Mm-hmm. So that is where Metroid fits into that almost perfectly because essentially what you have is the original game kind of running underneath and then everything else on top has been rebuilt uh, at the presentation layer, be it presentation of visual or audio. Um, I would consider that like a remaster. It would still be a remaster even if they like redid the UI for instance though, but the fact of like almost all the camera systems shooting, you know, fundamentally the vast majority of the code is the same as the original that's what i would consider a remaster then under that an hd is something where essentially it's largely a a sort of trace over it's a it's just a, a spruce it's like a res up of some things but everything hasn't really been fully rebuilt necessarily you know an mm. hd would be like um like when we did the uh, when Blue Point did the Metal Gear Solid collections, and then we did the Vita versions of those, um, you know, we we redid a lot of the textures and everything to show up in HD. But you know, by and large, the geometry was was the same, animation was largely the same, and the textures were just sort of like redone so that everything still appeared sharper. Um, I would consider that more akin to like an HD than a remaster. So something like. Um, I believe Skyward Sword would be would probably fit into that uh, more than the Metroid Prime Remaster, maybe or like uh, the wind when they redid uh, Wind Waker, uh, that was probably more of like an HD uh, type of thing. Didn't they didn't they release Wind Waker on a better platform or something like that? They released it on they released it on uh, Wii U. Oh, so a different platform. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> uh, and they obviously redid the lighting. I mean, the the irony of that is. Wind Waker looks better than Twilight Princess. Yeah, you know Twilight right. Princess came after Wind Waker. But yeah, which but is I mean, beauty the, of art the, style, right? Yeah, yeah. But I would say that like the the main difference between like HD and remaster is that a remaster is like a true like rebuilding of it, and the core visuals and everything have largely been you know redone. Like if they were to do a Metroid Prime one, but they just sort of upraised a few pieces of geometry and made the textures uh 
be um be a lot better but everything else was fundamentally the same that would be in hd um but here they redid the audio they redid the models they redid all that uh I, w- I would say a lot of the remasters you see, the things that call themselves remasters are HD because a lot of the ways that they're built are not by like the original dev team, but they're usually contracted out. And then with the exception of Bluepoint, a lot of them kind of throw a lot of art at it to make it look good, but not really re-envision um, things for a modern look and feel. Yeah. Did you play remaster on all the different control schemes i mean there were heaps i mean the fact uh, that they went out of their way to do that is, is crazy you know what's really f- well what's really funny about it is like well i tried the i tried the wii one and i i i i only have the sort of pro-ish controller for the switch so like the the cheap one not the expensive one and so i i i saw the wii one and i'm like uh <laughs> congratulations for doing this i will now put you aside um and then uh then i did the original uh gamecube one and i pretty quickly put that one aside and i went to the dual the dual stick one yeah which was hard for me because the game is so similar to the gamecube version that i found myself at various points from muscle memory using trying to do things from the original control scheme yep it same it was it was creepy i felt like a weird person like suddenly like flying pirates are showing up and something in my brain clicks and i'm like trying to switch beams with the wrong stick and i'm trying to you know whatever but what what did you think of the control schemes i kept making mistakes all the time a couple times with uh morph ball uh, mm-hmm. And then with the beam switching, I think those were the two biggest issues for me. Like, I think if you, if you, because if you go into morph ball, and then I think to spring ball is the button directly above it, and then boost mm-hmm. ball is to the side. And I think I got those two mixed up at points. And then with the beam switching as well, because I'd, I'd be used to using the C stick to change. And I yeah. think, what is it, X? And then you push... You hold X and, and then do the and thing. then you push, yeah. push down. Is it on the D-pad or on the C-pad? I can't remember. On the... Yeah, so I got confused quite a few times. Yeah. Visor and beam are the same. It's just you hold X to switch. It's like the shift button, you know, to yeah. switch between doing visor and beam. I got stuck on the spider ball a lot. So I found myself trying to grab a spider ball track and lay in a bomb because, <laughs> <laughs> because the bombs were on R... And the spider balls on L, you know? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And so I just, I, and like, and then I, 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 for some reason, kept mixing up boost and bomb. And yeah, that that was tough. The, the hardest one I had was super missiles, actually. Because um, you had to sort of hit L and L or R and R, you know? Like you had to hit the, the trigger and, or was it, I don't remember. But like, because you had to charge your normal beam and then hit the missile button. Yeah, yeah. And like I felt my fingers just kind of contorting every time I had to do a super missile, which near the end of the game, when you're battling Chozo ghosts, is like every two seconds. Um, that was probably the that was probably the most difficult time I had. But otherwise, I thought I thought they were fine. Like, I, yeah, mo- most of my hangups with the new controls were my hangups with being old and not being able to change. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes I think complaints about games, uh, is it a result of you, the player, or is it a bad game design choice? Sometimes those lines can blur, but then sometimes you have to be accountable, I think, and take responsibility. And I think the controller issue was a me thing, being rigid and maybe being used to a certain way of playing it within within reason. I, I think so too. Like it, it, it's such a weird because the game relies on lock-on so much, but then it gives you the dual analog controls, but then you're still always wanting to use lock-on, and so I feel my my brain just kept breaking of like, yeah. like like I would not like I would want to look up at something and I would forget that I could just look up at it now, you know, <laughs> like stuff like stuff like that, and um, yeah, that yeah, but I, I they they did a. I think they did an okay job with it. I could never get the the right stick acceleration. I found it would always jerk over every time I was trying to look around some. I could never get that quite right, but it didn't really matter that much to me. I mean, for the for the most part, they've done a phenomenal job. Uh, I mean, I looked mm-hmm. online at most of the complaints all seem to be the same thing. It's either the gravity suit thing, the phase on mines, which are frustrating. I think the artifact quest is, but we've talked about that before. Um, the fetch quest and i think some of the backtracking i think those are the four things where people really complained and then there's the odd one that's just posting i effin hate fish and metroids because a lot of them just find them annoying (laughs) oh yeah well here's what you do you go into a morph ball you power shoot off a power bomb and you get the heck out of there yeah 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 exactly but i mean like Oh, but there were there's uh, another couple things I did want to call out as like really market improvements. By the way, though, um, one is something. Well, one's a dumb one. I always complained about this uh, in the first game in in Fendrana Drifts when you had the thermal on. They had all these little light sticks poking out of the ice everywhere. You know what I'm talking uh, about? Yeah, 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 yeah. In Fendrana Drifts, they never marked them as hot and thermal, which always infuriated me. <laughs> And so I was so happy when I went into the thermal visor after I was mad at the thermal visor. I was so happy going into it and seeing that they'd marked all those light sticks as hot and thermal because it was just like a little checkbox on the piece of art. And so that was nice. Um, All of their, um, the particle effects are astounding. And actually like every fire effect in the game looks so much better than the original. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Like they, the... You know, a, a lot of what a lot of our particle effects in the original, um, and a lot of the fire ones, especially, were sort of really just sort of variations on little sprites, you know, moving around. But they really, and this is not just a technology thing, but I think it's just a way people have figured out how to author them better. Is they really did a lot of the fires a lot more like flamethrowers, like like sort of projected cone out things. And so in Magmore Caverns, they look awesome. Even the little fires that hold up the platforms in Fendrana Drifts look great. Um, they did a bang-up job with the effects in general, and they looked uh, pretty stunning. And especially all of Magmore Caverns, I thought, looked amazing because the new lava look, you know, the new... Like, the, I hated in the original game... I hated the look of the lava in Magmore Caverns. It uh, I'd, it always looked like fruity pebbles to me, uh, the cereal. <laughs> and and I I couldn't. And so honestly, like Magmore Caverns is 
stunning between all the different fire particles and uh and and that and the uh and the new look of the lava it's it's so good and all their effects look so good in this game the biomes are just so good in prime one right if you blurred if you blurred like every single world right so you could only barely see them you'd still be able to know which biome is which right because they're so distinctive Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think that yeah chozo ruins yeah no i mean that that was the thing like uh and something todd keller was extremely good at was um you know a lot of the time we would complain that uh he would light rooms dark and whatever but the guy really had an idea of color and an idea of that sort of 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 lighting and colors and palettes and everything like that and i feel like he really hit it out of the park on all the metroid games because yes you always no matter where you are in a prime game you all almost always have a sense of place um you know you kind of know where you are and i think that yeah you're right that the biomes uh all feel the way they should but and what they did in remastered is they made them look a lot better but still made you feel like you were looking at the same thing you did 20 years ago yeah which is an amazing magic trick and takes a huge amount of restraint it is and that's why it's even more impressive in the sequels when you guys came up with a lot more unique biomes right um mm-hmm yeah, because obviously, because I mean, obviously, like... obviously the, the the lava, the the ice, the the forest. I mean, they're, they're like the cliche biomes. But so that's not to say cliche is a bad thing. I mean, it worked perfectly. No, 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 no. And in fact, Overworld. I feel like we built Overworld and Mines last. Like that was one that I feel like came to be very beautiful. Um, in the final game. And I thought they did a really good job in this one as well with talent overworld. Um, just making that feel so organic and so nice, but I am pretty sure. Okay. So in the original, original game, uh, in the North American release, at least when after, uh, after you're done with the galactic Federation ship and you and Ridley are going down to the planet. Um, and then it's the opening cinema where the ship is landing. The ship, passes through like a leaf texture on one of the trees i am reasonably sure they kept that in remastered i'll have to i'll have to have a look again i think i saw that i i i'm reasonably sure i saw it pass through a leaf texture which was like just a big mistake that i think you mean might have gotten removed in trilogy and i i love that if they actually added that back in (laughs) i think they might have done that though it's it's unlikely to happen but if they were to patch the game mm-hmm. what would you want added to it <laughs> well you know what number one well, is. number one is yeah we 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 know what that is the credits yeah yeah the credits um what i want i would i would want them to patch in uh world elevator checkpoints i think that would be uh that would be really nice um i'd probably want them to uh, the hint system was i'm only it was called the redundant hit system rhs that's what we called it redundant redundant hints i would tweak the redundant hint system to take away some some of the little traps like the one going down to the to the um wreck ship uh early i would make it so that they would drive people away from there uh so you wouldn't get stuck you know the gravity trap or whatever 
So you mean like have the hint system kick in very quickly after you get the ice beam? <clears throat> As a, so I, so you don't. I, I would so have the hint system because it kicks in every yeah. thirty minutes, I think, isn't it? Or it kicks it, it kicks in every thirty minutes, and so what I would do is actually kick off a hint if they arrived there sooner. Um, like if they basically got to got down into the wrecked ship, I would kick off a hint before they fall into that abyss. Of, uh, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't like I wouldn't stop them. Like I wouldn't change I wouldn't change any geo or anything like that to stop them from getting down there. But I would have the hint system come in and basically just do the gravity readings and Fendrana drifts and kind of pull them away right as they're maybe getting in the water. Uh, around there because i mean you're in there for a pretty long time before you get to that drop and um and so yeah i would have the hint system kick in a little early what else would i add i i don't know i mean they have difficulty modes i've never done anything but normal difficulty so i don't really think that that would need to be changed no i think Um, in the harder difficulties that all the enemies and bosses basically become bullet sponges basically they just yeah they just take far more hits and i think you take more damage as well and and i would like for i, I don't know i mean i i it the, the super missile thing really did bug me um and i and i've looked online and some other people have been annoyed by that as well i would like them to make firing super missiles a little easier because they are so integral to the end of the game um uh, and i was I, that was like that was a frustration point that i felt like was one of like okay like this is a late late game thing that you know Mm. uh could have been could have been handled better other than that i really don't yeah i don't really have anything else to be honest. i think I mean, i'm i think i'm exactly the same as you on that yeah oh and uh i do want to call out that the x-ray visor looked perfect so that's good um there's one thing that i think i saw that an intrepid listener wants to see if i'm right or not uh soon after getting x-ray there is a there's a missile pickup hidden behind a morph ball tunnel, hidden behind a pile of leaves. And in the original game, I could swear that that pile of leaves went away in X-ray visor and didn't and remastered. Okay. Well, like the pile of leaves has no collision. So yeah, yeah. You know, you could the go in there whenever. The attention to detail that you notice, but you worked on the game. So it's cool. Cause you pick well, up a lot I just of these things that- well, that, that was like the the first thing after getting X-Ray to, besides that room, that one room, the first like little mini puzzle thing was to see a pile of leaves and then an X-Ray, it goes away. Um, but that would be it. I mean, who, you know, it's such a tiny thing. I mean, everything is tiny things. It's, yeah. It's crazy, I do, but. I do quickly want to comment on the, the Samus uh, animation rig at the end, right? The oh, updated yeah. model. Yeah, they, they changed it from model. Trisha Hel- so, Trisha Helfer to Katie Sackoff. <laughs> but it looks so good. So I know. Good. I know. It re- but it's funny because like, yeah, they changed someone called that out on Twitter and it's like, yeah, they changed which Battlestar Galactica <laughs> actress they were modeling. <laughs> and um I know it looks it looks stunningly good. I gosh, I don't remember who modeled her originally. But I, I mean, I was still really, I mean, I remember at the time I was very happy with the original model. Well, the uh, model looks even better than the model of her in Prime 2. Well, what I was going to say is like, what I what I liked about her in general is like a lot of the depictions of Samus, including like the ones in 
uh, the Sakamoto games depict her as kind of like this five foot three girl that's somehow magically controlling a six foot tall body. You know, like I remember even in other M there was that like iconic shot where it's like she's standing there as a girl and like, I guess Adam Malkovich or something is standing on the other side of the room and he's like a foot and a half taller than her. And it's like, yeah, but isn't Samus five eleven? Like it did like, like they made her small intentionally on a lot of those games, even though she's got this seven foot tall power suit. And the only way it ever really makes sense is if she's like five eleven, which is what she's supposed to be. And, I feel like at least the way that she was modeled originally and in the new model, she has a look and a sort of length of her face and everything that says that she has a larger statue stature than like a tiny pixie girl. You know what I mean? And I feel like they really nailed that even in the remaster of like, I kind of like that, like we aren't sort of stuck to what, like Metroid Prime isn't stuck to the view of Samus that like a different sensibility would have on her, if that makes sense. Like yeah, like yeah. Met- Metroid Prime Samus is a five foot eleven badass that doesn't talk, and this is her character. And her character in Dread and the other games is kind of a different character. And I'm I'm glad that they didn't just like take the dread models head and put it on the body. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it mm-hmm. looks stunning. I mean, I think from prime two and zero mission onwards, they started incorporating the whole zero suit Samus thing. And that became the, uh, de facto way that she was modeled for the most part. Right. Whereas prime one, that was not the case. I believe that in prime one, a lot of Prime 1 and the lore we went to was done without uh, too much input from Japan. Uh, we kind of did our thing, and then it was done. And I believe that even with the Samus model at the end, it was one of Retro's staff artists. Good Goodness, I feel awful that I don't remember who did it. I feel absolutely awful. Just, you know, they they did the model, and... It happened and it was fine. But then for the other games after that, you know, suddenly, you know, our model was being used in Smash Brothers and our Samus was being intermingled with all this other stuff. And so suddenly it became, uh, we had the eye of Sauron on us. And so Japan had a lot more influence on uh, those designs. And I want to say that, I don't remember if it was Prime 2 or 3, where she had, her look was very much like, it 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 looked like um very asian influences with kind of dyed blonde hair um and anime no not anime no no that's not what i mean what i mean is just bone structure and everything like that oh uh, right yeah yeah and and that i believe was because there was a lot of back and forth with japan on what they thought she looked like versus what we thought and it was just kind of this you know, meshing that I I don't think was was very successful in the subsequent games, and so it was nice to sort of say that okay, we're gonna make a spectacular version of it, but we're gonna honor what we were what 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 Prime One was going for out of the character, and keep that version of the character 
in the game, keep it sacrosanct, which again shows such an extreme amount of respect for the franchise and the original game. Well, hey, uh, I'll wrap up there unless there's anything else you wanted to specifically cover. Um, Did I bring up the credits? (laughs) No, no, you didn't bring up the credits at all. (laughs) Oh, hold on. Let me get my piece of paper. (laughs) I mean, no, no. And and by the way, that 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 stuff, I mean, I'm I'm harping on it only because it it's sad. You know, it's unfortunate. Um, But I I I also know that the legacy of the game is going to live on and. Probably the saddest part about it is just that it is the game that is the best one I've made in my career. And it probably will be. And I'm so insanely proud of it. But I will say I'm really proud of everyone that worked on the game, that made the game, and that paid such a huge amount of respect to it and and put their love and their heart and their soul into it. And I I don't want to use this, this complaint about the credits to diminish any of that. Um, because I know that what they did, they did out of love and not out of spite and did out of respect in, in really making the game what it was. And so I just wanted to say that, that, you know, my personal stuff aside with the credits and not just personal, but with the team, I know that everyone that worked on the game and had their hands on it on this new remaster did it out of love and out of care. And I really, really greatly appreciate that. And they, they definitely all deserve to have their names on the game as they do. And, um, and I was really happy to see that. They did a phenomenal job. And I think they honored you guys. I mean, credits, credits aside, the attention to detail, they had it, you know, it's, it's still, I think it's 95 or something on Metacritic. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's nuts. It, it probably, I'll be interested to see the sales numbers, but it could end up becoming the best selling Metroid. All that, all that aside, would be which amazing. Would, which would be weird for me considering it was not marketed at all and it was just a shadow drop, but hey, maybe that was the best marketing. I mean, word of mouth is the best marketing. And I I I think that Nintendo did not think that this would do well at all. I I I, I agree. <laughs> I I'm having a hard because I'm having a hard time thinking of too many on-purpose blockbusters that were released in February. It very rarely happens, right? Because it's after Christmas when a lot of people don't have as much disposable income. Exactly. It's why it's why every like terrible movie comes out in February, is because <laughs> no, I'm serious. <laughs> like the worst movies come out in February because that they, they need to come out and no one's. Just check it here. Yeah. Yeah. And so I um I think that I I love the sort of repeat of history of Nintendo kind of underestimating retro and watching retro just blow it out of the park. Um it makes me really happy to see that, to be honest, because I I feel like retro started as kind of an underdog story, and I like to hear that that could still be happening now. Uh you know, but yeah, I I I I had uh, the 20th anniversary of the game happened. The game appeared to be complete for months prior to that. And then for some reason it's released three months later with little to no fanfare. It's so strange, but, but they did it. It just goes to show that good game design is good game design, right? So yeah, 
yeah, exactly. Good, like, like great, like great games will overcome and you can market, <laughs> you can market a turd as much as you want, or you can not market something amazing. And that amazing thing is just gonna, it's going to get seen. And especially on the switch, it's going to get seen, it's going to get played, it's going to get loved. And I'm just, I, I'm happy it holds up and I'm happy all these people are, are playing it again or playing yeah. it for the first time. Yeah. This could, this is probably the start of another renaissance, I think. Because I feel like the golden era of Metroid was around about Metroid Prime to Metroid Prime Three. I feel that's the that's the golden era. I feel because mm-hmm. all these games coming out, and then you had Fusion and Zero Mission as well. Uh, yeah, so this could be the start of that. I mean, I think um, Dread was a lot of people's first Metroid game, so maybe based on Dread, that caused a lot of people to buy Prime. But then it's also there's that effect of it being at number one on the eShop. So a lot of people just buy the number one thing that's on the eShop. And then there's also the word of mouth and the fact that it's got like 95% on Metacritic and all these critics are giving it 10s again. So it's, it's a perfect perfect storm of things. So I, yeah, I really hope it, hope it sells well. I have a question for you. Sure. Compare this to Dread. It's an odd <laughs> thought, right? Because you sort of almost have... It's almost a weird, it's almost a competition. You know what I mean? Like, it's very hard for me to rate them because they're so different. I think they both have strengths and weaknesses. I will say because Dread has moved combat so far with the games, uh, I think it becomes apparent when you play the older games that the combat's not is there though i think it's what i went back and played two uh 2d um the 2d games i played super metroid recently and i'm like oh i'm finding this really hard to play now um yeah super metroid is might be my favorite game of all time but the the controls now have aged so poorly yeah oh my gosh yeah i just i find it very difficult to play i found fusion okay but then mm-hmm. I've, 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 you know, you're running and then you try and slide and you can't slide and then you try and use flash shift and you can't use flash shift and you're like, oh yeah, that's right. Um, but I think the Metroid Prime game specifically, the, the way they're designed is you're, you're meant to take in the environment more. I mean, mm-hmm. they're more slow paced games and because of the way they're designed, right, you can't just run through it and speed run it and stuff, which I think it's part of the reason why I think backtracking becomes a lot, li- more difficult to navigate in a 3d space mm-hmm. because with yeah. 2d games you can just fly around everywhere and it doesn't take long right and i think that was that was one criticism i think that a few people pointed out is in terms of the magmore caverns because you go through it what like 20 times this you can end up going through the same room 20 times yeah 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 you know what's you know what's funny is after i got the super missile in magmore caverns i kept not going through the room that had the artifact in it somehow <laughs> I don't know how, but my path just, I kept like, and there's a room that's very similar, the similar looking column. And I must have yeah. super missiled that one about 20 times thinking it might've been the artifact one. And, uh, and I never made it through, but yeah, I, yeah, I think it, I think it's interesting that we basically have two, two games from like the same franchise. And yeah, one is this kind of crazy, hyper fast, twitchy thing. And the other is this kind of more slower plotting thing. And they can both exist at the same time and not really cannibalize each other and i think that's really cool yeah it is cool and so i'll be interested to see what they do with prime 4 um and how they push it forward 
and as you said, right, they can build it for the actual hardware. Um, yeah, so I'll be interested. I mean, I mean, I, how long has it been in development now? Quite a while. So who knows? Yeah, uh, but Nintendo won't release anything until it's ready. So yeah, yeah, or a year after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they just they just <laughs> hold on to it for like a year and then just release it yeah apparently because um wind waker and twilight princess apparently according to rumors they're just sitting on them mm-hmm. as well just just ports just yeah but hey i'm not a i'm not a businessman i'm not a marketing person so they they must have a lot of data that they're looking at I assume. sure <laughs> sure <laughs> yeah yeah but um anyway that is the show everyone uh make sure you share like and subscribe jack as always it is a pleasure i always enjoy it's been great and I have a plug. Oh, uh, okay. Go ahead. Y- yeah. My wife's third cookbook comes out on April 25th. April it's 25th. Called, it's called Love and Lemons, Simple Feel-Good Food. Please pre-order it. I would love if you pre-ordered it. Because you, you taste test all of her her meals, right? She uses you I as like her guinea pig. Uh, I, well, I'm a pig. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I, I taste test as many of them as I possibly can. To be honest, she's she's kind of got this thing down to uh, on this book especially. She tested things so much that uh, there were a few that I didn't even get to do because she was going through them. But yeah, most of these meals are my dinner, and they are. It's her recipes are just some of the best on the planet. I absolutely love them, and her books are great and. Yeah, this is her third one. She's got it down to a science at this point. Uh, but yeah, it'll be out April 25th. Love and Lemon Simple Feel Good Food. Pre-order it. And that would be amazing. Cool. Well, do. Would you recommend one specific... If you had to recommend one of the recipes in the book, which one would you recommend? If I was going to cook one of them, which one? So this isn't a recipe, but it's actually my favorite chart from the book. She she has like a lot of charts for mixing and matching things. So the idea is like if you want to make like a bowl, she actually, you know, essentially gives you almost like a matrix or choices of different things. And she's got one that is a lasagna mix up. That's different ways of making different types of lasagnas, like with noodles and sauces, not just, you know, like red sauce, but like all sorts of different things and all sorts of like cashew cream things and all that. And that might be my favorite chart in the book, because one of the things I love is that like, she is so good at like making the pieces of things that all fit together in different ways. And I mean, who doesn't love lasagna, you know? Yeah. So yeah. So that's, that's, that's one of my favorite, uh, favorite parts, favorite parts of the book. And this is actually the first one I didn't photograph. I've, I photographed the other two books, but not this one. So um, I don't have a sense memory of the visuals of all of them <laughs> in my head. <laughs> but I remember the lasagnas and I remember taste testing those and they were, uh, they were spectacular. Well, if I end up cooking one, I'll, I'll take a picture or a video. I have to send it to you. And... We'll do a Kiwi talks interview, uh, <laughs> with, uh, with, with pasta. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Eating live awesome. on camera. All right. Uh, there's the show, everyone. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. And uh, until next time, stay safe. See you later. Bye-bye, everyone.